Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Good morning and welcome to episode 64. Today we're going to do the Week in Review and uh, it's going to be an exciting show. We've got a new co-host today, Bob Hughes. We'll get to Bob in a second. I just want to thank today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Pogan Paul, the world's oldest and most recognized luxury kitchen cabinet company. To learn more about Pogan Paul, please visit them online at www.poganpaul.com. That's P-O-G-G-E-N-P-O-H-L.com. Uh, Bob, thanks for being here. You are our new Monday morning, Week in Review co-host. <laughs> Call it the Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> That's right. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Peter. A lot of fun. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Well, Bob's going to make the show fun. So, right? <laughs> That's absolutely that, right. That, that's I'm your not, goal. I'm paid for, <laughs> I'm paid for fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't take that in the uh, wrong way at all. And there are limits to fun. But, yeah, no, i actually looking forward to it. Uh, been doing this for a little bit, uh, a little while, as far as the uh, the discussionary radio show. So that's it's uh, definitely fun to go uh, larger than uh, just regional. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know what? The law needs a little flavor to it, so uh, I think it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, I'm big on the hot sauce. Let's try. <laughs> All right, you want to get to uh, today's legal news? Let's start with today's legal news. Yes. We're going to go through the news, and then, as our, our listeners know. Uh, we're going to get into the second half of the show. We're going to talk about some business-related uh, corporate structures and that sort of thing. But why don't you take us through what do you got today, Bob? Yeah, absolutely. A big, a big week last week in in, uh, in decisions, and we'll talk about probably the biggest here in a little bit. But uh, some things that catch the eye that just don't make any sense, and, and, and for for some reason people do things. But a guy falls asleep during a Yankees game and decides he's going to sue the team the TV announcers, and everybody else involved. Uh, basically, New York Daily News telling us that Andrew Robert Rector uh, suing the Major League Baseball Corporation or group, whatever you want to call them, in addition to ESPN and their announcers, Don Sh- or Dan Schulman and John Crook, who Rector claims defamed him and called him names such as fatty and unintelligent when he got caught taking a little nap during the April Yankees-Red Sox game. Lawsuit saying that the announcers made numerous false statements. I'm trying to figure out why they're false. At one point, even referring to Rector as a fatty cow and not worthy to be a fan. However, YouTube clips of Showman and Crook kind of just poking fun at Rector don't include those put-downs. Now, in addition to the announcers, ESPN, Major League Baseball, and the Yankees, all named as defendants in the lawsuit, seeking damages of up to $10 million. Rector saying that his character was defamed and, of course, claiming that he suffered emotional distress. Now, Peter, this just seems like this guy's just suing everybody to get something, and this is probably never even going to see the courtroom. What, I mean, what's this well, guy's motivation? Let's take the first most important point. 
it is very easy to fall asleep at a Yankees game this season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so hey. I kind of can't blame the guy. But, um, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned the fact that the YouTube clips don't, don't show this, um, the allegations that are contained in the complaint. Because you're right. He alleges uh, fatty cow and unintelligible and all sorts of other things. And uh, I didn't hear it. I mean, I watched numerous clips. I didn't see the game while it was being broadcast, but I didn't hear any of that language. And, um, you know, the complaint itself is something that this guy drafted himself. I've read through it. It's filled with sort of uh, poor grammar, to say the least. He says all kinds of crazy things. And then he's looking for $10 million. And, you know, this is, I'll tell you, this is one of those things that wastes the taxpayers' money. And that's all this comes down to. Do you think he even went to to speak with a lawyer at this point, or did he just uh, kind of maybe got shot down by everybody and, like you say, just drew something up himself? Yeah, I think that's what happened. Because quite honestly, if unless you were a lawyer looking for attention, any lawyer that has any sort of credibility, they would they would tell this guy no. You know, the elements of defamation, right, you've got to be able to show that it's a false statement. You've got to be able to show that uh, there's publication and that there's harm. And, you know, some sort of either negligence or intent. And, all right, so, yeah, there's publication, right, because it was a broadcast game, and then obviously it circulated through social media. So that element's there. But what's the ultimate defense to all defamation suits? And that's either truth or opinion. And, you know, opinion... uh, Does this drop into any kind of comedy at all? You know what? I think that what it really comes down to is that these announcers, if you take what... I actually heard, which is, oh, how could this guy fall asleep through, you know, Beltron and all the people screaming? Um, you know, his friend next to him is more interested in, in eating. And the guy next to him was really thin. Um, I think that this ultimately comes down to opinion and truth, because let's face it, right? The guy was fat. And, hey, <laughs> Careful I've what got you a say, lot man. of weight to lose, could be so listening. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I think that the guy is offended because of what happened after that. I think that if the announcers had made the comments that they did and then it just ended, I think the guy probably would have dropped it. I I can understand him being upset because if you look at some of the social media comments, I mean, they're pretty harsh. You know, oh, this guy's fat, he's stupid. He's, But at the end of the day, if you look at the legal elements of it, I don't think it's defamation. They made an observation, right? They didn't say anything that was untrue. He was asleep. They were surprised that he could sleep through the game, and uh, I didn't hear anything defamatory. So I think that his action gets dismissed on a motion to dismiss right out of the gate. I would expect Major League Baseball and the other defendants to come in. Uh, Obviously, they're going to have a very large white shoe law firm or multiple firms. They're going to get this guy out quick. It's going to be a motion to dismiss, knock him out, and, and that'll be it for him. So... You know, if you're trying to make something kind of go away because you were embarrassed by it, filing a lawsuit's not the way to go. <laughs> take, take that under advisement. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it's just it's silly. I mean, I would just let it go. I understand, you know, maybe, uh, maybe it would motivate him to, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe do something better with this talk. I mean, he could have turned this around into a positive instead of, all right, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed, and so now I'm going to sue you. And ultimately, opinion cannot be the basis for a defamation suit. And and those people who are thinking, well, what about invasion to privacy? When you go into a public stadium to watch a a baseball or football game or whatever, you know, you you turn around the ticket and it says, you know, you're at a public event and that sort of thing. 
Um, the fact is, is that you've got no rights to privacy while you're in a public stadium like that. So I think this is a waste of everyone's time and money. Interesting because, you know, I got some laughs out of it, but not a lawsuit. <laughs> he just may want to invest more heavily in energy drinks, that's all. Uh, <laughs> or or maybe even cupcakes. And actually, you know, going right into cupcakes, crumbs, the bakery, declaring bankruptcy, closing all 48 stores. AP telling us uh, crumbs, the New York City-based chain, which built its business around cupcakes, closing several dozen of its remaining locations this past Monday. Uh, seemed like kind of an up, abrupt ending for a company that opened up a decade ago to ride the wave of popularity of the sugary treats sparked by the TV series Sex in the City, which, Peter, I know you're a big fan of. Uh, <laughs> Crumbs Rise and Fall isn't surprising when you look at the company's dependence on fads. In fact, it's just the latest cautionary tale for businesses that devote their entire menus to a variety of just one product. You have Krispy Kreme, for instance, uh, tried to expand rapidly due to a large cult-like following on its donuts. But sales started to decline last year. The restaurant um, uh, basically had 249 locations down from 338. Krispy Kreme delicious, but not enough to build a business on. Same thing as Mrs. Fields, just cookies going from 230 stores when it started at 438 a decade ago. And as well, TCBY, which still has 355 locations, down from 1,500 roughly a decade ago. We don't even have one where I live. And companies that offer that one item, really easy to fall victim to a number of risks. But, uh, what, you know, when you take a, a business that's, that's got one item, a cupcake, whether you, you dress it up in red, white, pink, or yellow, it's still a cupcake, Peter. What yeah. do these guys do wrong here? You know, I really think it comes down to three things. I think, first of all, I think that um, they tried to expand too rapidly because, you know, they were, I think they, they ended up with 48 stores. They were a New York-based, very small bakery, and they developed, and it was back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where cupcakes were the thing. You know, people were getting cupcake cakes, and everything was cupcake. So they capitalized on the, the trend, the popularity of cupcakes, but then I think without having the proper business plan moving forward, they just decided to franchise and open up. And then once it got to the point where it was starting to trade publicly, I think that's where you know the, the end of the cupcake craze happened. And this rapid growth without enough money to back them just for to you know sort of force them out of business. So I think that the growth was too fast. I think that the single product focus, which you mentioned, that's got inherent risks just to begin with. When you're dealing with a single product, if you're not going to be innovative and be willing to sort of change the direction that you're going, I think you're setting yourself up for failure just because of the inherent risks. And then, and then I think the third thing is, is the idea of a fad. If you are going to capitalize on a fad like cupcakes, that's great because you can make a, a ton of money. But you've got to be able to see what direction the market's going. You've got to be able to offer other products that are not just fad-based. You know, you remember those shows? Uh, there was Well, there's still Cake Boss, and I'll talk about that in a second. But um, yeah. there was that, that guy, Duff. I can't remember what show. Oh, Charm City Cakes. He's out of Baltimore, okay. and he was on the Food Network. Right? So he yeah. was kind of like the first show that dealt with these, these highly decorative um, 3D cakes with figures and that sort of stuff. But if you look for him now, he's still active on the Food Network, but the popularity of his show, I mean, the show's gone, and that's because cakes 
have sort of gone the way of the dinosaur now, too. We've moved out of cakes. We've moved out of cupcakes. So, you know, this guy, uh, have you seen that show, um, Cake Boss, with Buddy from Carlos? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, Buddy's deal, the reason that, that Carlos Bakery is still around is because Buddy, and it, well, it was really his father, you know, he inherited this business from his father, but his focus is on quality baked goods as opposed to just cakes. So when you watch the show Cake Boss, that sort of uh, developed out of the Charm City Cakes show. And so he started making these cakes, and he does a good job. But if you go into one of his bakeries, it's not just cakes. As a matter of fact, those decorative cakes are A, a lot of money, B, you've got to have them ordered well in advance, and, and you know, C, they don't do everything that they show you on the, on the show. You walk in, and they've got prefab cakes. They've got cupcakes. They've got cookies, brownies. So it's a bakery. That's really what it is, but there's some appeal to it. But that's why they've stayed around, and places like, you know, Crumbs is now gone. Well, let me ask you this. You know, you talk about the Cake Boss and the diversity of products. What companies have done right? You've got, you know, you have Starbucks, who started off coffee, Dunkin' Donuts, their donuts. What have they done right? Is it the variety of products built around that solid base? What is it? Yeah, I think it is that, and I think that it's um, knowing when to sort of rein in your entrepreneurial spirit because, you know, you can go to Dunkin' Donuts and you can get a variety of breakfast-style foods. their sandwiches, their egg wraps, that sort of thing. But they all sort of re- revolve around um, the coffee. They're not offering, um, you know, hamburgers. They're offering foods that people are going to go in for uh, their morning coffee and they're going to walk out with an egg and cheese wrap too. And the same with Starbucks. You're not looking at things that are not related to coffee. They've got a lot of, um, you know, muffins and, and that sort of thing. But when are you going to buy a muffin primarily with your coffee? So I think that they've done it right because they, they do have a um, sort of specialty product. But also, too, you know, everyone, well, for the most part, everyone drinks coffee. But not everybody wants, uh, you know, a cupcake. So sure. I think that's part well, of it, too. Well, you need to look at crumbs. Would crumbs still be in the game today had they understood their limits? I think so. I think if they had taken a um, a slower approach to growth, you know, growth is good, but growth can also be damaging to a business. You've got to take baby steps until you get to the point where, you know, it just start of, uh, sort of evolves on its own. They were pushing it. They were forcing it. Uh, if you look at Carlos Bakery again, they've got mm-hmm. obviously their, their flagship store, which is in Hoboken, They've opened one in Ridgewood, which is a North Jersey town. They've got one in Times Square and then, you know, I think maybe Atlantic City and throughout New Jersey. But what you've not seen is you've not seen it spread to California, to the Midwest. They're taking their time and they're developing. And Carlos Bakery's been around forever because it was Buddy's father who started it. So they're taking that slow and steady approach Whereas Crumbs was like, all right, you know, it's just let's just go and open up as many as we can. So, <laughs> ride, ride the back of the ladies on Sex in the City as if they were the only ones. Yeah, that's uh, right. The yeah, no. <laughs> um, and, and baseball, you know, I mean, back to baseball. We're gonna jump ship from that. Um, baseball heavy in the news last week. Not only did we have one uh, one fellow suing baseball, we had one fellow winning baseball. The yeah. Dodgers got to pay fifteen million dollars. To the guy, I don't know if you remember back in 2011 when this guy gets beat up out in the parking lot 
at a Dodgers game. According to Reuters, a jury on Wednesday finding the Los Angeles Dodgers negligent in the 2011 assault of a fan at their stadium that left them permanently disabled, ordering the team to pay $15 million in civil damages, but uh, interestingly enough, clearing the former owner of any liability. The Los Angeles Superior Court jury reaching a verdict on its ninth day of deliberation, so this wasn't clear-cut over the lawsuit brought by Brian Stowe, who's a father of two and former paramedic from Northern California, who was beaten by two men in the Dodger Stadium parking lot after a season opening game against the Giants. The lawsuit alleging that the Dodgers and Frank McCourt, who was the team's owner at the time, were to blame for lax stadium security that Stowe said created an unsafe atmosphere where criminals were felt emboldened to prey on others. Defense attorneys arguing that blame lay instead with the two men, who is Luis Sanchez and Marvin Norwood, both who pled guilty to criminal charges in the attack and were sentenced to eight and four years respectively. Jury agreeing the two men were mostly responsible for the harm caused to Brian Stowe, but also found that the Dodgers as a team bore 25% of the responsibility. Under the law, finding negligence as a substantial factor in the harm of Stowe, suffering that rendering the Dodgers not 100% liable, but they're still going to give him $14 million from the Dodgers alone in that negligence. The Dodgers bearing only that liability. Now, the other million dollars coming from $4 million, which is a quarter of the $4 million, adding the one, for pain and suffering. He had sought originally $37 million yeah. for past and future medical care and lost earnings in college education. Sounds like I need to get into the uh, business of being a paramedic and then be beaten senseless because I'm going to win in the long because I can't believe this guy made this much money or would have made this much money, $14 million for economic losses. Yeah, you know, that's it's, it's, yeah, that's, you're right. I mean, that's, it's an interesting um, decision the way that it played out. I mean, let's go back to the actual beating. I mean, look, this guy went to a game. He wanted to watch a game, be entertained. And I mean, this is, this is tragic the way that these guys beat him. But now you shift, yeah, now you shift over, though, to, well, what is this worth? How does this work? You know, um, California is one of these comparative negligent states. So that means that as long as you can prove some, some element, some facet of liability, right, you can establish liability, then you're going to recover. It's just a matter of what percentage you're going to recover. There are states where... You know, if you're 51% liable for something, uh, you're barred. You can't recover. But in comparative negligence states like California, uh, as long as you can establish negligence, you're going to recover something. But, you know, what's interesting here is that most often assaults or um, independent acts like this, they're deemed to be, um, you know, sort of um, outside the circumstances of – you know, uh, what what can be controlled. I mean, look, you're saying... Yeah, I don't want to say act of God, but, yeah, I mean, right. it, it's... How how can the... I mean, what are you, you going to get your uh, personal walk along to your parking lot? Okay, next person, come along. We have your security. Come on. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 every, everybody gets their own security guard now. This isn't an issue like where you've got New York City apartments where maybe there's no lighting or there's no uh, no security at all. You know, I've been involved in a ton of cases where you've got parking garages or parking lots out in the city, and there's not adequate lighting or security. And so when you're going in to get your car at 2 o'clock in the morning and there's no lighting and you get beaten, you know, yeah, there's some liability that's attributed to the owner of that lot because 
right. especially if you're in a high crime area because they, they knew or should have known. In this case, you know, I think he was fortunate because obviously, you know, I don't want to see somebody like this not recover. There are plenty of people who file frivolous lawsuits and they're just looking for a few thousand dollars. This guy deserved to get some money. But, um, you know, it's, it is interesting that um, it's economic loss and the pain and suffering is so much lower. You know, economic well, loss, you start, if, you're right. I mean, if, you're, if you start to look at who is salary. responsible, yeah, 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 that, that's one thing. But the other thing is you look at how many people stood around and watched this happen. Yeah. Are they all liable as well? Yeah, and, and obviously, you know. Seinfeld. Yeah, right. Um, you know, <laughs> you don't have a duty. I mean, because it all comes down to negligence. So, so let's just take a second look at negligence. What is it? Well, negligence has four elements. First of all, there's got to be a duty of care. You've got to breach that duty of care. Uh, you've got to be able to establish damages. And then there's got to be some sort of causal connection. They call it proximate cause between the damages and the breach of duty. So here in this case, they're saying that the, the Dodgers did owe a duty of care to Brian Stowe. They did owe him a duty of care. They breached it by not you know, adequately protecting him in the parking lot, which I think is a bit of a stretch. But like I said, you know, the guy did deserve some money for what happened to him. Um, I don't know enough about the action against the individuals. But, you know, oftentimes you'd have homeowner's insurance coverage if you sued the individuals that might cover you. But when you do oh, okay. something like, like an assault, which is an intentional mm -hmm. act, those intentional acts are often disclaimed from your policy. So if Brian, which I'm sure he did, sue the individual actors, they probably don't have you know two dimes to rub together, and they don't have, sure. whether it's rental or homeowners, it's not going to apply because this is an intentional act that would exclude coverage. So, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where the system's not perfect, but the guy deserves some sort of justice. and Somebody had to pay. Exactly, exactly. So, okay. uh, I think that's the deal with him. Yeah, it, not, necessarily, not necessarily what you're saying is it, it's not necessarily 100% within the bounds of what should have happened, but the guy deserves something. Yeah, because, you know, then, then what are you going to do? You're going to extend this and say that uh, every owner of every sports team has a duty of care that extends into the parking lot, and then you're going to be responsible for patrolling tail. It's, it gets out of control. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, probably one of the biggest rulings this week, if you start to look back at the week in, in review and, and, and decisions, everyone's watching this Hobby Lobby, uh, Burrell versus Hobby Lobby Stores Incorporated. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, finding basically to a degree in the favor of Hobby Lobby. If you haven't followed this, you need to come out of your bubble. Newsweek explaining that the Supreme Court's conservative five-justice majority finding that closely held corporations do not have to comply with the ACA, the Affordable Care Act's requirements, that insurance plans cover women's contraceptive if that conflicts with the religious beliefs of the business owner. Many fear this opinion is going to have some wide-ranging effect that's not only going to allow discrimination in public accommodations, but also in hiring and et cetera. Now, this, I mean, we could probably talk all day on this, but probably the biggest thing everyone's worried about, uh, Peter, is what kind of a slippery slope this is going to create and how yeah. it refers back to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Uh, I think it was back in, in the early 2000s. Um, or, you know, what's, what's going to have with, with future legislation? 
Yeah. You know, this is a, a really interesting ruling, and I think that it, it really comes out of the conservative-based Supreme Court at this point. Um, you know, they, they mentioned closely held corporation, and a closely held corporation is a, a company that has stock, right? It's publicly traded, but it's not publicly traded on a regular basis. It's, it's an occasional trader, and the shares of stock are held by a very limited group of people. So there is some limitation to this ruling, which is what I think a lot of people in the conservative, conservative end are sort of holding on to. Hey, look, this doesn't affect everybody. And the more liberal end is saying, yeah, but we know how these things happen. Once this is introduced, it's going to expand and expand and expand. Um, you know, it's interesting because the Affordable Care Act says that women have the right to have contraception covered. Um, but then you look at what it was going to cost, and it was going to be somewhere in the area of $430 million for Hobby Lobby to be able to have to, you know, to cover contraception. The other interesting thing, too, that I had read is that they weren't opposed to not paying uh, for any contraception. It seemed to be the morning after pill and uh, I think IUDs. But, you know, I think that the bigger concern here is now where do we go from here? Because what happens if you have a uh, small company owned by a religious group, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, who don't believe in blood transfusions, uh, for example, what if you have a company that's owned by a Jehovah's Witness that decides, hey, it's against my religion, I don't want to pay for blood trans transfusions. Can this ruling be extended that far? Um, you know, and then what about, there's also the lesbian and gay debate. What happens when you've got a, a, an ultra-conservative religious group that owns a company that says, um, you know, we're not going to cover what? We're not going to cover insurance for you? I mean, they, that's illegal. Um, and does, then the difference, does the difference start to look more at, um, you know, you have contraceptive, contraception is a choice. Um, LGBT is something that's um, not a choice, or at least not in a lot of circles, depending on who you speak to. A blood transfusion, not a choice when it comes to saving your life. Is that where the line's going to be involved? Is the word choice going to come into play? You know, it's going to come into play, but, but then you're going to get the idea of, well, what if, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pregnant and it's not my choice? You know, what if it was an accident? It's not my choice. I didn't mean to. It, you know, it, it really creates a number of legal issues. And then, you know, the other interesting factor is now you're getting this idea of separation of church and state. But to what extent? Um, I think ultimately that this ruling is either going to be so uh, limited in scope and nobody else is going to follow it or if you look at what the um, the liberals are doing right now, they're launching this massive campaign to sort of overturn this. I, I, I can't imagine that this is going to continue on. But, you know, this just highlights um, the, the flaws in Obamacare. The, the flaws, I understand what he tried to do, but from not being able to get the website active to, you know, you talk to many people that are, are, are buying Obamacare, and the, the number mm -hmm. one complaint I hear is that, you know, what good did it do me? I was paying, you know, X amount, and now I'm paying $50 less. So, <laughs> so you know, I don't know. I think yeah, it, 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 there, there is, was it more just uh, operational flaw when it came to writing the law, or was it just not well thought out? I don't think it was thought out well, and I think that he was trying so desperately to sort of make a mark for himself and say, hey, I'm the president that did, you know, this, and I changed health care. 
I don't think that he's going to be remembered for that. I think this is a a flawed system for sure. Um, So I don't know. I don't... uh, A lot of listeners, uh, Peter, are probably more small business owners, which would be, I don't know if it would qualify as a closely held corporation or a closely held company, but when it comes to a small business now, does this have any effect on a mom-and-pop machine shop that has 50 employees? Well, you know what? Obamacare kicks in after you have a certain number of employees. And so for most okay. small companies, uh, they don't have to offer insurance. Well, let me, let me change it. They don't have to offer insurance. So Obamacare would be the coverage of choice for those people. But a lot of people in different states, you know, they, they say things like, you know, save money on Obamacare. It's actually more expensive, and we can't afford it. And, and you know, it just is, uh, I think, a very, very ill-conceived system. I think that it is what has caused or created this Hobby Lobby decision. Um, but, you know, if you take a step back for a second and you just look at the economic factor of it, put aside the religious element of it, which I know is hard to do because that's what the decision's based off of. But from right. a purely economical standpoint, you know, I can see where small businesses get frustrated by the government saying you must do this because it's going to cost them a lot of money. Um, so, I mean, I can understand the economics of it. You know, it's, it's just like these states, right, that are, are shooting up the minimum wage to like $15, $16 an hour. Small businesses sure. can't afford that. And, you know, so... No. <laughs> It's a really, it's a tough decision to look at from the religious end of it, regardless of what your religion is. I do think it's going to create problems. That's why I think that this is ultimately going to be uh, either overturned or adjusted or sort of just limited so much that it doesn't have that same impact. And it's going to take a while to, to, to get there, too, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And, and actually, the, the court weighing in not only on Hobby Lobby this week, but also Disney got a little spotlight in the uh, Legal news this week. Uh, Former Disney manager of collections and preservation failing to persuade a judge that he was retaliated against and blackballed after he reported sexual harassment of a male employee. Courthouse News Service providing us with a little bit of information. And Robert Klein is the person that sued Walt Disney in federal court last week for retaliation, claiming that Disney fired him in September of 2011 for reporting that his co-worker Andrea Carbone was sexually harassing another Disney, Disney employee, Kiara Geller. Now, this guy is probably more involved in whether or not he was a whistleblower than anything, but there might be some things here that didn't happen that qualified this guy for that protection. He's claim, claiming his employment was terminated under the pretext that he lied during Disney's HR investigation and failed to disclose that he knew that the two had previously been in a relationship before Geller was hired to work at Disney's photo archive. Is this something that is a blow to whistleblowers? What is this more, uh, more detrimental to that or just an individual's right with social media and living a life outside of work when a corporation like Disney comes in and hammers on them? You know, this is a, this is a strange story because if you read the court ruling, right, they refer to this woman as the black widow of Disney because she apparently was having all sorts of affairs with all different workers and, uh, you know, she essentially threatened, hey, if you, if you don't come into my web, 
I'm going to, you know, somehow ruin your uh, your job. You know, uh, Disney, good place to work, right? At least that's what we hear. Um, I know a lot of people that work there. Most of them are retirees. Some of them are younger people who say it's good. But uh, it, this just highlights the fact that regardless of the company, you're going to have people that work there that are engaged in activities that do not um, represent your company well. They're going to have people who are engaged in sexual harassment. You're going to have people that uh, are, are fearful of their own job. You know, the, the whole idea of this whistleblower protection is that you should not be fired or penalized if you, if you, you know, turn somebody in. Um, I think that Disney has a, a decent system because if you look at the amount of employment discrimination cases over the years, Disney is relatively low on the list, and they've got, you know, how many? Thousands and thousands uh, of employees. So, you know, this, this decision uh, is interesting, but, you know, I don't think it really has much to it. I think it was a limited set of circumstances. I think Disney does a lot to control their employees. I know, based upon my contacts there, that there's extensive sexual harassment, discrimination, training that, um, you know, employees uh, are, are forced to do. So, you know, Disney, you know, by the way, did you hear about this other thing with Disney, speaking of them, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride? A little bit, yeah. This is great, right? <laughs> because um, not only do you have to pay money to get your tickets, apparently this guy, this tourist, had to pay in the loss of his fingers to have a good time. You know, he was on the Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean ride in Orlando, and um, that's that's the one that uh, they ruined, by the way, when they put Johnny Depp in it. I like the traditional version where there was no Johnny Depp, but I digress. <laughs> it's all so about, it's all about marketing, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, do you know this ride, Bob? Like, are you familiar I've, with this ride? I've been through. I, I've not I've not been out. I saw it. I took my kids there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was one of those, you know, they're a little small, so we didn't get involved in it. So, All right. but, uh, I don't know what exactly the ride entails, but apparently it's not exactly a small world. No, <laughs> no. So you get on this, this, well, this, this right? for this guy, it's a smaller world now, but that's a different show. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, you get on this boat and there's this very small drop. It's, it's like a log flume, but it's really not. I mean, it's this little tiny drop. I think the drop is something like 13 or 14 feet. And then really it's just kind of like a slow-moving ride. You float through and you see uh, the pirate town and that sort of thing. And it's, it's really cool and well done. It was one of Walt Disney's original creations. And, you know, you got this guy, this tourist, who gets on the boat and sticks his, his hand outside the boat and it cuts off some of his fingers. And, you know, first of all, you're stupid. If you do that, if there's just how many times can you hear, please keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, right? So, I was just going to say, I tell my kids that constantly. I shouldn't have to tell another adult that. Yeah. You know what's interesting, though? Um, this is something that we talked about over the weekend, right? Now, let's say that, because uh, let's face it, Disney is not cheap. It's very expensive. Let's yeah. say it's something you saved up for and you're bringing your kids there and you're sitting behind this guy and as he sticks his fingers in the water and, you know, they get cut off, your kids, they see this, you know, and, and I would imagine, because I think I would be relatively traumatized to see some guy's fingers floating in the water, um, your kids see it, and, you know, this guy's got his bloody stomp, and, and, like, doesn't that affect your kids? 
can you sue this guy for some sort of either intentional or negligent infliction of emotional distress because now your kids hate pirates, hate Disney World, and all the money that you've saved to go on this vacation, you just wasted because they want to go home. So, and they won't ever eat finger food again. Chicken fingers are out, absolutely. <laughs> that's right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's interesting, you know, just obviously we're getting off topic, but it's interesting because can you sue this guy? And if you go back to when we talked earlier today about the elements of negligence, I think it comes sure. down to the fact that this guy does not have a duty of care to the other passengers of the, of the boat. Ah, so, okay, I was just going to ask you, okay. Yeah, so I think that if, if your kids, unfortunately, saw this guy lose his fingers, uh, there's not much you can do about it. But from what I understand, the ride continued, and uh, I guess they just fished his fingers out. And, but, I mean, really, come on. <laughs> you got to be – I understand. You, know, you see it all the time, right, people on rides. For some reason, they've got this weird fascination with either sticking their hands in the water or trying to touch stuff on the side of the ride. But – Oh sure. Well, so, it, 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 well, you draw back to to what you said about the the the, uh, the, the care and the negligence. Is Disney going to end up being liable to the other people, not only to the guy that lost his fingers, but are they going to end up suing Disney for stress and emotional pain? Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that um, I think that the hand guy will will sue for sure. And um, you know, if you look at the amusement park liability, and you look because you know, there's there's um, groups that focus on lawsuits coming out of Orlando, since it is really the amusement capital of the world, amusement park capital of the world. Um, I think this guy is definitely going to sue, but I think he's going to have a hard time. He's going to have to say that Disney owed a duty of care, which they do. They do owe a duty of care to keep riders safe. But uh, it's going to hinge on foreseeability. Was it reasonably foreseeable that an idiot was going to stick his hand out of the boat and <laughs> You know, did they breach that duty? Well, but, you know, what could you do to, to prevent somebody from sticking their hand? They tell you there's warnings on everything. Please keep your hands oh, sure. in the vehicle. You know, it's just real common sense. So does this guy have well, a lawsuit against Disney? Yes. Is he going to win? No. Well, maybe he'll just settle out of court for a role in Captain Hook coming up for the remake. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe we'll give him a job. <laughs> He's got he options. He doesn't have to wear the plastic. <laughs> I mean, they could give him a real one. There you go. <laughs> it just adds to the realism. Right. Um, and speaking of realism, if you move to a town, you move to a country, you might want to understand what the laws are and what happens when you get in trouble for it. In Texas, according to findlaw.com, a car salesman may have snapped a picture worth of a thousand words, and potentially he may get two years in jail out of it. Pedro Elamelio. Zuniga Martinez, Jingleheimer Schmidt. That was good, Bob. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> 22 of Brownsville, Texas, working at a used car lot when a female customer told police that he'd taken a picture of her behind with his phone. Strangely enough, Zuniga Martinez allegedly admitted to taking the photo, according to KGBT-TV. But they're reporting also that the alleged photographer couldn't find the illicit pic. Now, the wrap-up on this guy... Mr. Martinez, is the fact that he may not be in the country legally. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah, also will sound to – is this what this guy did, legal or illegal? Is this guy going to face deportation because of it? 
You know, um, well, let's talk about the rear ender for a minute. First of all, you've got two <laughs> issues here that are important, right? Uh, he took a picture of this girl's butt, right? And I, I believe that she mentioned to police that as she was inspecting the car, it's possible that she was a bit cheeky and, you know, there was something to see. And so this guy's 22 years old and he's taken a picture. But, um, you know, we're, this is Texas. And mm-hmm. it's also something that, you know, is across the country now. Uh, you've seen those, those things where you can't have revenge porn, you can't take pictures of ah. your ex-girlfriend, right? So yes. this obviously isn't revenge porn, but what, what's critical here is um, the intention that this guy had when he took the picture. This is interesting, right? Because when you're out in public, you have a limited... Um, expectation of privacy. So if you're in the car lot and this guy takes your picture, there's not much you can do about it. But sure. because he's taken a picture of, of you know, her rear, um, it can potentially be a legal issue for him. But interestingly enough, in Texas, you've got to be able to show that not only did he take the picture, but it was for some sort of sexual gratification. Now, that's going to be a little tough to prove, but, I was just going to ask you, how in the heck do you do that? Yeah. You know, I think that it would be something where if you took that picture and you went home at night and you uploaded it to a porn site or uh, you were passing it around, there's ways to be able to determine what your intention was, and there's certain certainly you know reasonable arguments why would somebody do this. Um, but if you're taking a picture like that as a gag, as a joke, even though it's completely inappropriate, uh, if the intention wasn't for some sort of sexual gratification in Texas, then you have a defense. But this guy is going to have a very limited defense, if any, because we don't think he's here legally. So, <laughs> so you know, I mean, I, I think what's going to happen here is that he, he potentially could have a defense to this. He could say, look, I thought this was really funny. I wanted to send it to my friends as a gag. Whether or not anybody would believe in it is story. <laughs> right, right, but that's the thing. So... I think it's well, very, and that's the thing. She might have, she she may have jumped the gun a little quick on this. I would think because of what you're saying is you need to prove the intent. Well, wait until he does something with it and then jump. Or did this girl do the right thing in in coming forward right away? I think she probably did the right thing because you know what this this world is a very messed up place, and the fact that that everyone has a camera and a video camera in their pocket now on on their cell phone, it makes things. Um, I don't know, uh, difficult, because it's not fair that somebody would do that. It's not right. You know, it's the same thing with these upskirting laws where people will place these cameras underneath somebody's skirt and take a picture. Um, I mean, these are sick and twisted people. And, and it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's, how do you how do you think of these things? Not you personally, but who sits around? Says, I've got a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me make a shoe camera so that I can, you know. But it's it's something that is very widespread, and in, across the country now we've got a lot of these upskirting laws. Um, but you know, it, it really is something that I think if you are or believe you are a victim of it, I think you go to the police right away because you know what? Sure. What's what's the guy going to do? He could upload the picture, uh, he could delete the picture. It might be harder to prove. I think she did the right thing, and I think that what he did was completely, obviously inappropriate. But I think we will be seeing him. Um, in another country very soon. <laughs> I had a nice hearing near you. 
Um, yes. Well, and, you know, you can start talking more about you know cameras and 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 people want to, wanting to perform constantly. Um, New York City subway, great place to pick up a, uh, a performance every now and then. Well, they're cracking down on subway dancing. Didn't know this was a problem, uh, Peter. You living out that on the East Coast, you may have a little bit more exposure to this than most. Uh, New York City cracking down on dancers in its subway trains after seeing a six percent, six hundred percent increase in acrobatics-based arrests in the last year. New York Police Department Commissioner William Bratton sees these subway performers as part of a pernicious low-grade lawlessness, and he's the new sheriff in town, that can create the perfect environment for more dangerous criminals. And the Associated Press reporting that while Bratton doesn't believe it's a significant crime, he feels subway dancers and acrobats are adding to a great sense of disorder in the city's mass transit system. (laughs) So what can happen to a subway dancer in New York City, Peter? I mean, Hey, you can either get a larger stage, you can end up in, in jail. What's what the what the heck yeah. is going on up there? I guess it's a no for bringing over the Chinese acrobatic team, huh? <laughs> you know, I used to take the subway. I'll tell you, I used to work on Wall Street, right? And and I take the sure. subway every day. I take the PATH train from Hoboken to the trade centers, and then the subway, you know, to wherever I was going to go. And obviously, I'm going to court all over the place. I have to tell you, that is the last thing they should be worrying about. They should be worrying about people who are trying to, um, you know, solicit money from you on the train. I'll, I'll tell you this, this story. It's, it's crazy, but it's true. It's really true. One night I was coming home from law school because I went to law school in Brooklyn, and it had to be about 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I went to school at night. I worked during the day. So I'm on the train, and it's me and a handful of other people. And this woman comes down the train and says to me, Give me some money. Now, if I had it, I would have. But here I am. I'm working full time and I'm going to school at night in Brooklyn. I had nothing. And she says to me, if you don't give me some money, I have AIDS and I'm going to bite you. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, like, that's pretty scary. And there's not a, a police officer around. Everybody else on the train car, because she's standing right in front of me, everybody else gets up and leaves. So here I am now with this (laughs) scary woman who's threatening to bite me if I don't give her money and give me AIDS. So I had some change in my pocket, like 50 cents or something. And I said to her, look, this is all I got. I threw it down the train and ran. I was like like Carl Lewis. I, I went through so many train cars to get away from this, you know, zombie woman. That's what they should be protecting against, not... The street performers. You know, sometimes, I have to tell you, there's some pretty talented people down on the subway. I've heard violinists. I've heard people with the cello. Now, I don't know to what extent these dancers, I mean, is it like break dancing and they're kicking people off the platform? I don't know. But I think that they should focus their efforts on, uh, you know, people that really are panhandling. The whole thing is that aggressive panhandling is illegal in New mm-hmm. York City. But it's got to be aggressive panhandling. So I don't know if this, this person or these, uh, these dancers are, you know, getting up on you, grinding you, trying to steal your wallet, but I, I think it's kind of silly. But that's what comes well, out of New York City. Yeah, that's the beauty of living in the apple. That's what's right. in the whole line of aggressive, situa- excuse me, aggressive solicitation that makes that difference. What is considered aggressive? So. Yeah. You know what's aggressive? What's oh. aggressive is when you're trying to get back into New Jersey from New York and you've got some guy with his, with his squeegee and water bottle and says, I'm going to clean your windows, and you say no, and then he does it anyway. That's aggressive. <laughs> that yeah. makes you want to just step on the gas, but 
<laughs> then I'd be on this show. You'd be reading the story. Yeah, about exactly. Me. You would be the subject of a lawsuit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and actually, I'm you know, kind of getting back. I'm I'm glad we got New York out of the way because you know I, I don't live there. I don't know there. I don't know anything about the place. I was thinking about coming, but you know, without the uh, the ability to perform now, I probably won't. Um, yeah. The um, you know, I want to look back at. And some of the some of the things we've talked about, you know, we talked about Crumbs Bakery failing, and, and, and some different examples there, and even the Dodgers and, and indemnification, and, and 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 even the Yankees, and how they, whether or not they're going to be liable for this ten million, and how the Dodgers are liable for fifteen million. I've done the small business thing before; I still do. You know, I guess is there a right right way and a wrong way to set up your business when it comes to corporate structures and LLCs and S corps? I mean, what can you tell people about that kind of stuff? Because that, 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 that seems to be a lot of what was in the news last week and what, what the level of exposure your business has yeah. to individuals' actions. You know what? That's one of the, the number one questions we get when people want to start a business, and they're really, really hung up on this business structure. You know, here's, here's how it works, okay? So there's a number of structures. There's a sole proprietorship. There is a partnership. There's a limited liability company, and there's an incorporated entity, and then a derivative of that is an S-corp. Um, and let me just go through this very basically and briefly so that you can kind of get the sense of what these are, and then I'm going to talk about protecting yourself, which is really why you form a company to begin with. So, And this is all small all... business information, Peter, right? Yep, it's small business. And you know what, though? When you're a small business – you're either going to stay small or you're looking to grow. And that has to factor into right. your decision as to what format you're going to select. If you are going to just be you know, a local landscaper and you're never going to hire anybody, that's going to be a different structure than if you're planning on growing a marketing agency. Um, okay. So you've got a sole proprietorship, which is really essentially you, and you have no protections from being sued. If you are sued because of your business, your personal assets are attached, and so they can come after you. Sole proprietorships are you know, the least level of protection, but it's something that somebody would do if they were going to be developing you know, um, very small. You know, they're going to make quilts on the side, and they just want to be a sole proprietor, and your taxes go directly on your own tax return. It's very simple but your personal assets are way out there, way exposed. So, you know, if you are serious about business, sole proprietorship is not the way to go to protect yourself. Um, Besides of got, a hobby. Yeah, exactly. And now you've got you know, the partnerships. Partnerships are, are, are good to an extent uh, because from a tax perspective, your taxes go through the pro- – you know, they, they are taxed on the profits – and so you file a K-1 at the end of the year, um, and, you know, it, it's from a tax standpoint, okay. From a liability standpoint, you could still potentially be exposed. There are a lot of different forms of partnership, um, professional companies, professional liability companies. But, but again, a pure uh, partnership without other structures being added to it, such as, you know, a, a limited liability partnership, you're exposed again. So in my opinion, sole proprietorship, unless, you know, like you said about a hobby, not a good way to go. Straight partnership, not the best way to go. And that leaves you with, all right, 
limited liability company, uh, an incorporated entity, and what the heck is an S-Corp. So a corporation is something that has shares of stock. Doesn't It's not on the stock market. It's not that sort of thing, but there are shares of ownership in the company. And it really is far more complicated, especially in states like, like California and New York, to set up. You definitely are going to need an attorney to help you set up an incorporated entity. You're going to make sure that your accountant is on board so that you know what you're getting yourself into from a financial standpoint. And, um, you know, there's this issue of double taxation on corporations, and it can be quite confusing. And we're not going to get into that today. If people have additional questions, you know, you guys know that you can always contact me directly, and I'm happy to answer those questions for you. Um, but it's a very complex structure to set up. It does. Now, can you do a corporation just as a single individual? You, you can, yeah. I mean, you, you would have 100% of the shares. Okay. But, but the nice thing about it is that you are protected. Your personal assets are, are protected because in a corporation, um, the person and the business are treated as two separate entities. So your business assets never affect your personal assets. You could have a million dollars in your bank account at home, and your company could have you know, $5. Your company gets sued, and the judgment's for $10,000 but all you've got is five, you know, but obviously sitting at home in your bank's a million, well, you're never going to be in jeopardy of losing that unless, and it's very rarely, uh, you do something that sort of allows the plaintiff to pierce the corporate veil to kind of get through that level of protection. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, the problem with it is its expense to set up, the complexity of it, and the double taxation, which is why some people will will hear, hey, what's an S-Corp? An S-Corp, right, is really an IRS designation, a special corporation designation that, that does away with the, the double taxation issue. And that's something that, um, you know, you should really talk to an accountant about to understand the financial benefit to an S-Corp. But by far and away, the most popular form of business is the LLC. And the LLC is more of a hybrid because um, you have the ease of setting it up. You've got the ability to put it through your personal tax return. You've got the ability to add additional members to the LLC. And obviously the biggest draw is your liability is limited. You are you know, exempt or protected. Your personal assets are safe. And if somebody wants to sue an LLC, they're going to be limited to whatever the assets of the LLC are. The nice thing about an LLC, yes, it's always a good idea to have a lawyer. But I, I've told people, you know, thousands of times, I'm not, I'm not the guy that says you need a lawyer for everything. There are things you can do by yourself. And if you have the time and the inclination and you can read, you can very easily form your own LLC and save yourself money on attorney's fees. So every state, you know, you go right to their, their business, uh, the state's business section, the Secretary of State or their business portal, and it's really sort of easy to set up an LLC. And it yeah, Michigan's very easy. Section. Michigan's very easy. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people are paying places like LegalZoom, and uh, LegalZoom is a separate issue that, that just drives me crazy. But uh, <coughs> you don't need to pay. You can do that by yourself. So, you know, how do you know what, what – 
what business structure you're going to select. All right, I've given you these options. Well, what do you do about it? Well, I think that you've got to really take stock in your business. A, what is the long-term goals for your business? How big do you want to get? Uh, how much money do you want to make? What do you think your potential liability is? And these are the areas where you need to talk to a lawyer. Uh, you are better, and this is something that I go back to all the time, you are better worrying slightly less about the business structure, right? Obviously, if you're going to make a, a, a real business out of this, file for an LLC or an incorporated entity. Stay away from the sole proprietorship. But where people go wrong, and I think that you, know, you, you were talking earlier about uh, the Dodgers that we talked about, crumbs, people go right. wrong because they focus all their energy onto what structure is my business and they forget that once they set up their business, there's a lot more to worry about. And I think that those people that can sort of put their money and time in the front end of their business are the ones that are going to be successful because they're going to save on the back end. Um, I want to tell you a story about that. But before I do, I want to just talk about the LLC for a second, and I want to illustrate it. Sure. What I'm going to tell you, I do not think is right. So I'm not saying that this is what you do. I want to highlight the ability of the LLC to protect you. There's a guy who um, is sort of infamous in, in a few towns around me. He would open up a business. He would sort of convince the landlord that it was, going, it was a food-based business. It was going to take a little time to develop his business. Would the landlord be willing to sort of take a little less up front, maybe less security, and then be willing to work with him until he can establish the business. And, you know, over the past 10 years, the economy has been so slow, and, and there's a lot of property, commercial property available. So most landlords were saying, yeah, sure, it sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a good business. People love this guy's food. He'd open up a company. He'd file an LLC and um, then, you know, make some money, close up. Next day. Uh -huh open up the next LLC, change the name. You know, and this is something that uh, a lot of companies do. They use the LLC as a way to sort of defraud people because if that guy gets sued by his landlord, the landlord's going to sue the company. Unless there's a personal guarantee in place, you're going to sue a company that's defunct or has no money. But that's how strong the protection of an LLC can be. So, you know, from that standpoint... That story illustrates, while I don't condone that, that story illustrates the idea that LLCs can really, really protect you. And, um, you know, for ease and for accounting ease, it's a really good business structure. Again, though, one word of advice. Talk to your accountant about your business structure before you set it up. An attorney can help you set up the business, but attorneys should not be giving you tax advice unless they're accountants. You know, I would not ask my dentist about my colon health, and you shouldn't ask an attorney, unless they're a tax attorney, about financial information uh, like that. Only you know, if you're talking out of that into your business. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> can, you make, the, can you make a change? If you start with an LLC, can you move to an S-Corp or vice versa? Is it easy to do? Is it recommended? Can it be done? Sure you can. You know, that's, that's the beauty of this. As your business develops and grows – you can change the structure. You could convert your business from an LLC to an incorporated entity. You know, you can even make your LLC 
have an S-Corp designation in the IRS. So there are all different varieties of things to do, but the, the one thing that you need to really worry about, and that's why people set up businesses, is liability protection. So I just want to give you some tips. Um, outside of the selection of your corporate designation, you need to think about other things. What is my business? What is my potential liability? And I'm not saying analyze this like you're a judge, but look at it. If you're a landscaper, what's your potential liability? Well, you could injure somebody. You could damage property. If you are an accountant, what's your potential liability? Well, you could screw up somebody's taxes and have it impact them financially. What if you're a dentist? You could hurt somebody. You could kill somebody. So those are the basic analysis that I would recommend that you do because beyond the protections of your company, you need to worry about insurance. You know, most people, Bob, they don't even think about insurance. That's something that's an afterthought because, A, when you're a startup, you don't want to lay out the premiums to have business protection. So they think, well, all right, I've just set up an LLC. I'm protected. But what if you do something? that somehow creates liability outside of the LLC. So I'll give you an example. You know, you could, you could have a, a law business and you could be an LLC, but if you commit malpractice, your LLC doesn't insulate you from that. Oh. And that's, that's where you need insurance. You know, and um, same thing with, with interior designers. We represent a ton of interior designers and photographers and um, you know, you have an LLC and you think you're insulated, but what happens when you are an interior designer and you screw something up or you misappropriate uh, appropriate funds or any of those things? That LLC is not going to insulate you from everything because you are part of the LLC, Right. So your personal money might be safe unless you do something like commit fraud. But what if you've got money in your business? What if you've got thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in the bank in your business or more if you're larger and now you're being sued? Who is going to help you pay for attorney's fees? Your LLC doesn't help you pay for attorney's fees. Who is going to protect you from having to pay out money? Your LLC doesn't do that. All that does is insulate you from personal liability. But you're going to be But insurance helps keep you in business. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, insurance, okay. if you select the right insurance, insurance is going to provide you with an attorney to defend you. And most often that's that's paid for through your premiums. And minus your deductible, there's going to be money there that's going to help you satisfy a potential judgment or settlement. So, for example, you know, you are, um, you're an interior designer, let's stick with that example, and you're an LLC, and you go out and you do, do something to someone's property, right? They don't get what they thought they paid for, um, they think that you've overspent, uh, you didn't listen to them, and on top of that, you, you caused some damage in the house. So they sue you, and they're going to sue you and your LLC. Well, they can't sue you unless you've committed fraud or you know, you've done something to pierce the corporate veil. So you're safe, your assets are safe, but you've got $100,000 of money tied up in your business. So now your money is on the hook. What's the first thing that's going to happen? You're going to hire a lawyer, 
And the lawyer is going to say, yes, a defendant. I'm going to tell that person I'm going to charge them $500 an hour because what are their options? They're screwed. They're stuck. They've got a complaint served against them. Now I've got them. So now you're going to be paying $500 an hour or whatever to a lawyer. And then if you lose or you reach a settlement, where do you think that money is coming from? From you. Now, conversely, if you have insurance, the right insurance, so in this case, some sort of errors and omissions policy, now you've got the insurance company that would assign you an attorney. You're not going to have to pay those attorney's fees. Yes, you'll have to pay your deductible, but they provide you with coverage and defense. So now if you get hit and there's a a settlement or a jury verdict of $10,000, you'll pay your deductible, but the rest is coming out of the insurance. And that's something that people overlook. They, they spend so much time focusing on the structure of their business, and they forget, well, you could have the perfect structure, but what if you do something and you get sued? You need insurance for that. So I think that that's something people overlook all the time. And now, as someone, you know, like you say, you talk to your accountant when you start talking about whether you're going to form an LLC or an incorporated entity or an S-corp, is the lawyer, uh, their role the next most important thing behind the account. Once you make the decision what you're going to do, should you go to a lawyer and say, hey, you know what, I need to make sure I do this correctly. And it may not take that long and it may not be that expensive, but in the long run, you're much better off because you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Yeah, you know what, I would recommend this. Talk to a lawyer before you start your business. If the lawyer is going to be a good lawyer, somebody that's honest and open with you, they're going to tell you, look, you don't need to pay me for this. Go out, go home, file your LLC. Believe it, there mm-hmm. are lawyers that do that. I mean, we, we do that all the time because what, what good does it do me to take, you know, $200 from somebody? What, what, what kind of, uh, you know, good customer relationship, good client relationship am I going to build? If I can tell you to go home and do it yourself and save you some money, that's what I should be doing. My interests are in protecting clients. So go out, talk to a lawyer. Don't, if sure. the lawyer says, hey, listen, you've got to let me file this LLC, if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. You know, get away. But go get some free advice. Get some well, free advice. Well, that's a good point. You know, when you talk about customer relations, when a lawyer or anyone in business, for that matter, tells you, hey, you know what, this is what you need to do. Just go do it. Don't worry about paying me. When you need that service, I'm going to go, hey, you know what, Peter told me before, you know, just do this. Now I need Peter's help. I'll remember Peter's name when it comes time. I really do need help. Yeah, and that's, that's unfortunately the, the way that most lawyers do not think. You know, they think, let me get a quick hit, let me make some money. And that's why lawyers are bad people. Just don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> but you know what? You've got to find the right partner. You've got to find the right lawyer, somebody that you are going to be able to work with that's going to support you, not somebody that's just there to take your money. Because businesses are evolving entities. They're not some sort of static thing. They're a living entity. And as things pop up, you're going to need a team behind you. You're going to need a lawyer that you trust or an accountant that you trust to be able to go to him and say, look, I've got this situation. There are going to be employment situations, lawsuits, customer complaints, you know, all sorts of things pop up, collections, and you need a lawyer for it. So for those lawyers that are so greedy that they're going to say, you know, pay me $400 to set up your LLC and you can't do it yourself, shame on them. But you as the business owner, you need to go out and get this free advice. Go talk to people. Go talk to lawyers. 
get the information, Absolutely. and then go and talk to an attorney about insurance. If you are selecting the right attorney, they will know about insurance. Don't go to a family law attorney and ask about insurance. And, you know, most people will say to me, well, why would I even go to an attorney? Let me just go to an insurance broker. So, Wolves are in the hen house. <laughs> yeah. You know what? There was this guy that um, I was involved in this case, and he was going to be buying a bar. He didn't know anything about it, but he knew how to run a business. But he went to the broker, and he said, listen, broker, the guy that I'm buying this bar from, I want you to give me the same insurance coverage that he had. So that's exactly what he did. So about a year later, now we've got the new owner. Um, there's a guy that gets run down by a drunk driver in the parking lot, and the owner is sued for wrongful death. And the owner says, all right, contact my insurance company. I'm going to get that defense and you know uh, the money, the coverage there that we talked about. So when he calls his insurance company, they say, hey, um, we can't defend you. You don't have liquor liability coverage. And the guy says, what? He said, I went to the broker and I said, hey, give me the same coverage that the guy before me had. So the new owner goes down to the broker and he says, you, what, what happened here? This has got to be a mistake. Broker says, no, I didn't get you liquor liability coverage. And he said, well, why not? I told you to get me what the guy before me had. Broker said he didn't have it either. So yeah. that, that story illustrates that you cannot just go in and trust a broker. You need to be an advocate on your own behalf and you need to make sure that you've got a lawyer that can help you and direct you and give you some guidance. Because, I mean, you know, I could picture so many people that I know who are, are starting a business just doing that exact same thing. You trust that broker. You rely on him. But, you know, in the case of the liquor store guy, uh, had he gone and spoken to an attorney that was well-versed in insurance and that sort of thing, maybe they would have caught that. Sure. No, and that's, you know, you, you trust too many people. You trust yourself. Yeah. yeah. Trust yourself and ask around. Get the right information. Get the, the right advice. And, and um, you know, look, starting a business is not easy. And there's a lot of facets to it. And you need help. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a local lawyer or a lawyer from a large firm. It doesn't make a difference. Just find a lawyer you're comfortable with. And, and if that lawyer is a good lawyer, they're going to be willing to give you some free information and guidance. And that's what you should try to, to focus on. Get guidance. Put your money in the front end of your business. Have a lawyer help you prepare contracts. You know, get the right insurance on board because that way you've got a greater ability to stave off lawsuits. You know, maybe next week we'll talk about the flawed legal system that we're living in and how it's so easy to sue. But for today's show, just remember that uh, it's better to put your money in the front end of your business because you're going to save money and you'll be able to limit liability and being sued. So I think that's, you know, probably some good advice, but talk to people. Don't be afraid to call oh, a good information. Yeah. So I'm sure as, as we go along, I'll share my, my nightmares. Yeah, no, I think it's <laughs> going to be good because I think it will help uh, people understand. Um, all right. Now, last thing I want to do today, I want to talk about um, my three things of the week that should be illegal. And I've been doing this every week, and I've been highlighting the three things that I believe should be illegal. And obviously, there's some jest in here. But here's number three. Property that is too close to your neighbors. It should just be illegal. There should be like some sort of, you know, strip in between property when you're so close. Because Everyone's going to have their own DMZ. 
Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? Because, <laughs> you know, the disputes over property lines, I woke up Saturday morning and I look out my, my bathroom window. It's on the second floor, right? And I'm looking over my fence and there's this gigantic green umbrella that my neighbor has rested on my fence. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, what, what is going on here? You know, what, am I going to have to go tell him to move his umbrella? If there was, yeah, if there was a DMV uh, or Z, uh, we'd have some. Yeah, DMZ. So, yeah, DMZ. Well, so it, the tree, DMZ tree, I have the same problem with a guy here next to me, Peter, with his trees. I have, I'm cutting my grass. I'm getting hit in the head with his trees. You know, we need to put this in place somehow. You know, now I don't know who's responsible <laughs> for taking care of the, the DMZ, but that's something that The North Koreans. Yeah. <laughs> Of course. You know how much that will boost their economy? All I hear about is how poor North Korea is. We'll start renting their soldiers over. I need you to patrol my DMZ. And mow the lawn. That would be great. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's number three. Property that's too close. That should definitely be illegal. The next thing that should be illegal is um, hiring a contractor, having them come out, and they don't show up, right? You call up a plumber, you call up an electrician, and you're sitting there waiting for them to show up, and they never show up. How frustrating is that? Uh, worse yet, when it's a good fishing day. That's right. That should I couldn't get illegal. in. The fish were biting. Ah, oh, man, that's just not right. That's, that's a true story, Peter. <laughs> I had a, uh, again, one of my nightmares, had a guy that was um, supposed to come work on furnaces in a couple of my rental units, where are you? Fish were burning. Oh, man. <laughs> should absolutely be illegal. And the last thing that should be illegal this week is in-app purchases. Oh, my God. My kids no. drive me crazy with in-app purchases. I never yeah. believed I'd be spending $5 on imaginary gold coins. <laughs> absolutely be illegal. <laughs> have a couple of kids playing a game dad can i buy dad i want to power up it's going to cost five bucks right i'm going to power you up and it's going to be for free no uh in-app purchases <laughs> all right so uh that'll that'll do it for this week i want to remind everybody that this thursday 10 o'clock a.m uh we're going to be speaking with the founder of trigger smart robert mcnamara you guys that are regular listeners might remember that last, I believe it was October, we had Robert on. Uh, Trigger Smart is the creator of the patented RFID smart gun. It's a gun that only allows um, the person that has the, the you know, fingerprints, the owner of the gun, to, to actually fire it. So it's a safety mechanism. We're going to have him on Thursday. He's going to talk about some recent gun uh, laws and the development of the product and where he stands. He's made a tremendous amount of progress with the product. So we're going to talk to him on Thursday. And then, Bob, you're going to be back next Monday, and we're going to do this again. Yes. And, you know, I'm interested to hear what, uh, what our listeners said. If, if, you know, if you like this format, uh, certainly Bob seems to be a lot more fun than I do, and I, I appreciate your, uh, you know, your help here. So, um, you know, well, let, Peter, let if we know. get any negative comments, by all means, please forward that and their address to me, and I will uh, I'll talk to them. <laughs> that sounds good. I uh, also <laughs> want to remind people that uh, we've got an app that everyone should be downloading, okay? It's a free app. Um, it's exclusively for iPhone and iPad. Uh, the beauty of this app, right, is that there are no in-app purchases. I was just going to um, say no in-app purchases at all. <laughs> no in-app purchases. 
but it's free, and it's not just a, an advertisement for our law firm. It's not that at all. What it does is it has really useful information. A, you can stream the radio show right off your phone or iPad. B, it's got um, information with clickable links for all the statute of limitations right now for New York and New Jersey, but we're working on expanding it to all the 50 states. So if you want to figure out what a statute of limitations is, you can do it there. And then the biggest thing that we've got is uh, a Q&A. You are able directly from your iPhone or iPad to ask a question, a legal question, and it's going to go right to our office, and an attorney, a licensed attorney, is going to answer your question for free. You don't have to search the Internet for a paralegal. You don't have to search the Internet for you know, some guy that owns a lingerie store who's going to tell you about the law. You can go and you can get information for free directly from an attorney in my office. We do it as part of our, um, our, our community support and give back. We want people to, to better understand the law, and I think that that's a good way to do it. So just go on to the App Store, search for the name of the firm, Law Office of Peter Lamont, download the free app with no in-app purchases. And, and people, people are generally afraid of lawyers. Once lawyers say, I'll call my lawyer, uh, be fair. that's not the case. You know, learn, learn to love them. I have. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm a lovable guy. <laughs> and, hey, we set up a play date and you know, have a good time. That's right. All right, Bob, that's going to do it for this week. I want to remind people to tune in Thursday and then again next Monday. And uh, remember that there's power in understanding the law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at you, savings coming at you. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.